Hey, welcome back to The Craft, where we explore what we're learning about the creative process. I'm Colby, and I'm a music producer and product manager. And I'm Carter, a writer and PhD candidate at the University of Kentucky. And today, we're bringing you an interview with Will Mason. Will Mason is my friend and an artist that I've gotten to produce for over the last several years. And the thing is, we normally dive straight into the work. We don't have a lot of time to talk about the creative process. So I was really, really excited to invite him onto the podcast and talk about his process, how he writes his songs, and talk about the upcoming project that he has. Will Mason is an emerging singer-songwriter from Birmingham, Alabama, who works to fuse textures of pop, blues, and soul into a unique and modern style. Will released his first single, Take My Hand, in June 2021 and has released three more singles and a three-song EP titled Reflections since then. And he's releasing an upcoming EP called Freedom on August 18th, 2023, one week after this episode goes out. Carter, what did you think about the conversation with Will? What stood out to you? What did you enjoy? Yeah, we had a great conversation. Uh, One of my favorite parts of the conversation was we really got to see the evolution of Will as an artist. And so we got into a lot of backstory in the interview about, you know, a kind of a coming of age of an artist, both lyrically, musically, how his influences have shaped him. And so it was really neat for me to hear that backstory. And we also got into a lot of kind of practical technicalities of his creative process. And then also you guys got to kind of break down on air some of the iterations that these songs went through. So that was really neat for me to kind of sit back and watch. Yeah, it was really fun to actually play back different demos and versions of the songs that we worked on in this EP and see and remember, oh, wow, that was a really bad version or this one really improved because we had this light bulb moment. Like there were some cool, cool insights in our process and even reflecting on it was really good for me to look back at that project, try to take away some insights from it. Yeah, we really had, I mean, it was very much a behind-the-scenes kind of feel to this interview, which is not always something that's available for us, but with this unique project and you being involved, it was a lot of fun to do. Yeah, and Will is an emerging artist, right? He's young. He's not had 30 years of experience under his belt, but he speaks with a lot of thoughtfulness about his process and a lot of wisdom. He's gotten good mentorship and very much a craftsperson, I think, in the way that he approaches things. He's very thoughtful. And so I was just impressed, like, man, he has really clear, crisp thoughts on his process. And I love that. And I I really learned some some good things from today's episode. So yeah, with that, please enjoy today's interview with Will Mason. Will Mason, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. So good to be here. I mean, we've worked together for a couple years now and It's been awesome to get to produce for you and do music together, but we normally just kind of get in the room together and just jump straight into the work. Very true. So I feel like we haven't had a ton of time to like talk shop or talk about your songwriting process and how you work through things. And also you normally come to record after you've actually sat down and you've written the song, you've sat with it for a while and it's pretty much fully baked. So I'm really excited a little bit selfishly tonight just to pick your brain and learn more about your creative process. You know, that's the main thing we talk about on this podcast. So thank you for being here. We're really excited. I think there's two big things that we want to dive into tonight. First of all, just your backstory as an artist and how you got into music in the first place. And then also 
diving into your creative process in the songwriting and then also kind of hearing a little bit about the collaboration process and learning kind of from your side of things what it feels like and also get to share maybe some sneak peeks of some of the upcoming musics. I know you have an EP coming out later this summer in August called Freedom. Yes. So quick plug for that. So yeah, we we kind of structure these interviews around like the four creative principles that we talk about on the show, create, revise, share, and sustain. Those first three are about the creative process and then the fourth one, sustain, just about your journey as an artist overall. So today we'll probably be a little more loose on that conversation, but diving straight into kind of who is Will Mason, could you take a few minutes to just walk through your background as an artist and musician? How did you get into music and just a little bit more of your story? Yeah, totally. I was born into a musical family, so music's kind of always been a part of who I am and who my family is. My dad was a worship pastor for most of my life, so I kind of always found myself around music in the rehearsal room. You know, he'd bring me to church for late night rehearsals and I'd just be there and sit and watch. And I just loved it. It inspired me. And I wanted to, I wanted to do the same thing. And he, he really valued teaching us music from an early age. So that would be singing, training vocally, harmonies. And also he had us all take five years of piano. So that was the first thing I actually ever did. I took piano lessons from five years old to 10 and I hated it. I absolutely hated it. It was uh, definitely a labor of love. I knew that it was good for me, but I didn't really enjoy the piano. And I was also just playing like classical, like Mozart. And I just, it wasn't my thing. I just went to shred. I went to play electric and and acoustic because I thought that was cool. Right when I hit that five years, because we had to take five years, right when I hit that five years, I quit piano and started playing acoustic. And that right right when that happened, I just like started getting introduced to people like John Mayer and uh, people like Stevie Ray Vaughan. Blues was kind of the first thing that I really fell in love with. And that was definitely something that inspired my future writing, my future like goal sonically was trying to use the natural kind of grit that's in my voice and kind of pull that out. So yeah, I really loved John Mayer. He was like, he's probably my favorite artist when I was a kid. He probably still is now. I love his writing. His writing is amazing. And he's just a really great storyteller. And that's something that I try to do in my writing. I'm not sure if I'm great at it, but I definitely try to have a John Mayer approach to writing a song. All right, I'm going to ask you an unfair question. Do you have a favorite album from John Mayer? Oh, man. I mean, Continuum is, right. I don't know if yeah. you can get, I don't know if you can get better than, than Continuum. There's just so many amazing tracks on that album. For sure. Did you like the last album, the most recent one? It was, t- it was so different. Yeah, yeah, it was different. Uh, Saw Rock. It was different, but I I really liked it. And it honestly, one of the tracks from my last EP, Reflections, 
the track Never Alone on that EP was really inspired by that album. The the sound of sob rock. I think John Mayer did a a live recording of I'm I'm blanking on the name of the track, but there was some live recording of one of the songs on that album and that was like that track was what I tried to build Never Alone off of. It was just really inspiring for me and I loved that sound. I loved the sound of the guitar, the grit, but also like the um like the chorus that's on it. It was just yeah, I loved it. So jumping back into your story and progression as an artist, I love I love that aside there, but where did your development as a singer start? Yeah, I mean, I'd I'd been kind of singing um my whole life. That was the thing that came most naturally to me was vocal train. I never had I had one vocal lesson my senior year of high school. And then aside from that, Boyce College was the only place where I had consistent vocal lessons. I kind of just sang within the church and people in the church would tell me if I did something wrong or help me, you know, grow as a vocalist. But it's been a lifelong journey with my voice and I've experienced a lot of change. My vocal style, at least when I was growing up, would always like mirror the person that I liked the most at the time. But it wasn't even like artist-wise. It would be like the person at the church who I looked up to the most. My voice would like change. The associate worship leader at Brook Hills, his name was Philip, and he was in a Christian rock band before he became a pastor. There was a lot of rock in his voice, a lot of grit, a lot of nasal, like his voice was like in the front of his face, in his nose. And when I was younger, I would just like copy off of him. I feel like the main journey for me vocally has just been like, what is my sound? Not how how well can I sound like someone else, but what does my voice naturally sound like? And that's been a journey in of itself for the past couple of years. And I think through college, that was the place where my voice, I kind of found my voice, which I think, you know, it helps when you're taking voice lessons once a week, which I hadn't done before. Could you share a little bit more about finding your voice? We talk about that in different disciplines on the show before, but I'm curious, like for you, how do you do that? Because you're not in a vacuum, but you're going to voice lessons is it like you noticed, oh, I have to shed these habits because I used to try to sound like this other thing? Or was it, you know, like maybe any practical thing you could share about how you transitioned or was that even something from the outside I, I would have noticed? You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it definitely changed what my voice sounded like. So, and I mean, my dad always talks about the, my like punk rock phase where I was like trying to sing like a punk rock artist. It wasn't, it wasn't great for me. It didn't fit my voice well, but I tried really hard. Yeah, I mean, practically, it was more just like learning the techniques of voice, learning how to close my soft palate, learning how to sing from my chest, from my diaphragm, you know, all of these things that I had never learned before, I didn't know. And it all kind of helped me find the sound that was most natural to me. And like you said, like there's there's obviously going to be influences and don't live in a vacuum. But 
even with those things, I wasn't like a mirror anymore with my voice. I wasn't trying to copy anyone. That's really interesting. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. So then you got into blues. You were playing guitar. We're back in your kind of teenage years. What was the development there? We might have stopped you kind of mid-thought there earlier. I mean, the main place where I developed musically was just in the church. I did student band for close to eight years, I guess. Yeah, that was the main place where I got stretched. I went into youth band kind of knowing how to sing, being able to play a little bit on acoustic. And then our church had something once a year, an event called band camp. And at band camp, there would be coaches for every instrument. And all the kids who wanted to play acoustic would go to this workshop. All the kids who wanted to play electric would go to this workshop. And you would all basically just learn how to play your instrument better within the context of worship, within the context of the church. When I first got there, I was just learning how to lead. You know, I was learning how to sing in front of people without being nervous, learning how to harmonize, learning how to blend vocally. And then a couple years down the road, those acoustic workshops where you're learning G chords got kind of boring, you know, because I'm like, I've I'd done this done the vocal workshops and so I asked the organizer at the time of the event I've I've never played electric guitar before but do you think I could hop into the workshop and maybe learn how to and he was like yeah totally so started learning how to play electric guitar learned how to use pedals learned what to look for in tone what's not good tone versus good tone how to stack your distortion pedals all those little things that I had never learned before, and also learning like triads, pentatonic scale. My world was being opened to a lot of different things musically, and it was really exciting for me. And so did that for a couple of years, and then I can't remember if it was my sophomore or junior year, but I wanted to do bass as well. So that year I hopped in the bass workshop and learned bass, and that context allowed me to learn a lot of different things about music. The emphasis was church, music, and worship. But the things that I learned in those classes and in lessons on the side helped me to play anything. I mean, the pentatonic scale, I mean, everyone played, John Mayer plays pentatonic scale, you know? So those things were just building blocks that I needed in order to take my skill to the next level. And so those opportunities I'm really I'm really thankful for because they've kind of helped me develop into the player that I am today and the tricks that I like still use on a regular basis I learned in ninth grade at band camp. That's amazing. During this development, are you composing at this time? Like are you writing really bad poetry and songs like I was at sixteen that are just, you know, you can't hardly look at, but there are, yeah. The first song that I ever wrote I think I was maybe 13 and I wrote a song for my mom on her birthday and it was really bad. Like it was very, very bad. And after I wrote that song, I think I wrote maybe one more song and I was like, I'm not good at this. Obviously, I'm not good at this. I don't think I should do this anymore. So I stopped for a while 
And then later on, there was an opportunity to learn from the worship pastor at my church. He kind of helped me to train in my writing because I, I liked writing in general. I just didn't think I was I was good. And a lot of times, or at least the struggle that I've experienced in my life is like when I'm not good at something, like it's hard for me to find the motivation to keep trying. But that's the thing with, I mean, with music, with writing, with composing music, you need to fail like you and you will fail in order to succeed. That's how you learn. That was a perspective that was kind of opened up to me by my my worship pastor at the time. And so he helped me kind of learn how to write. And my dad did as well. He wrote songs. Yeah, watching people write, listening to songs that I loved. Like, why, why, does this, why is this song powerful to me? Why does this story in this song speak to me? And taking those things and trying to replicate them in my own writing. Like, why, why does this story speak to me? And taking that aspect that speaks to me and trying to fit it into something that applies to me in my writing. And I mean, that was just my breakthrough moment, honestly, was just trying to figuring out that it's okay to not be great and to just work it out because songwriting, like anything else, is a muscle. Sure. You just need to put in reps and you're going to write a hundred bad songs before you write one good song. And that's just the reality of it. Yeah, that's so good. So, you know, maybe we could even pull in on, we'd love to hear about the songwriting process for you. Because one of the things that I'm always curious about, do you start musically? Do you start lyrically? Where do things begin? Is it a melody that goes through your head? Has that process evolved in certain ways over time? Anything you want to get into with that, but like, what is the, what is the beginning? What's that seed of a song for you? Yeah. I mean, I used to... I used to only write when I was inspired. There's nothing wrong with writing when you're inspired. The problem is, is when you, when you go through a spell, when you're not inspired for two, three months, you're not going to get a song. Like at that point, you're just waiting. Like you're just praying that inspiration is going to just drop down on you. But for me, I normally start by finding a melody finding a chord progression that I really like. From there, I'll write a song. And, you know, a lot of writers do things differently. I'm not saying that the way that I do things is the way to do it. But for me, I start with the music because it's hard for me to pick a topic or pick even a mood of a song without experiencing the mood of the music. In some ways, I allow the chord progression that I love or the melody idea that I love to guide the content of the chorus that I'm about to write or the verse that I want to put over this chord progression. I always normally try to chase down an idea melodically or an idea within the chord structure of the song and let that idea kind of be the foundation that I build my lyrics yeah, that like that makes a lot of sense. You know, one of my favorite songwriters, Bob Dylan, I'm a huge Bob Dylan fan. Some of the early stuff, he's like, yeah, I just wrote down and it was just there. It was like 10 minutes. And then he's like, I can't do that anymore. And I'm like, yeah, I, I doubt anyone can really do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, 10 minutes. So, you know, maybe, could you maybe talk about, okay, so you've got a melody that's 
engaging you. You're finding out you've got a mood here. Where do the lyrics start to develop from? Is it a line here? Is it a line there? Are you thinking kind of narratively? Like you can kind of see the arc ahead where you want to go. How do those iterations work? Do you use notes? Are you writing down longhand? I'd love to hear more. Okay, so we've got the melody and we've got a mood here. How do the lyrics start to intervene? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it really depends on the song. I often find that my formula doesn't apply in every situation. And I, a lot of times, just have to adapt to what is coming natural. But most times, I will start with a chorus. Because if you don't have a good chorus, you're not going to have a good song. So start with the chorus. A lot of that is just like, I'll, you know, I'll write a couple of lines, pick a rhyme scheme that I think is interesting. I'll kind of run with it, write something, record it on my phone, and then sit on it for a couple of days and just kind of be like, is this, was this good in the moment or did I actually like this? A lot of times it'll be like, that was only good in the moment. I need to go back and rework this. And me and Colby have done this in our journey together in making music. We come up with an idea and then we throw it in the song and then we're like, okay, let's just sit on it for a night and see how we feel the next morning. If it's a good idea, then the next morning it'll sound good. If it wasn't and that was just kind of a thing that we just threw together, then we will know, you know, the next day. I don't know why the fresh perspective kind of brings that um, in front of you so well, but in my experience creating, you need time to let things kind of bake. That is definitely something that I incorporate in my writing. You know, once I have a chorus that I like, I go into the verse. But as far as content goes, I mean, yeah, there's not really something that guides me a ton. I feel like when I when I hear a melody or I hear a song, content kind of just comes up. And that's kind of what I chase, chase down. Um, whether that's a story or an idea or an emotion, it's kind of guided by the by the music. How did you learn the pro- the real practical details of like the lyrical part where whether that's different rhyme schemes or like structuring the number of bars in a, in a verse or something like that? Like I asked that because I've done a little songwriting but you know, I just uh, haven't written a lot of lyrics honestly, so I'm just curious about that stuff. It's a little bit of a black box to me still. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of it's just uh, a study of of poetry in general. And, I mean, using diverse rhyme schemes, a lot of that was taught to me by my my worship pastor. He kind of started instructing me when I was already writing songs. I just didn't think that any of them were good, and I didn't know how to make them better. And so I knew he wrote songs, and so I asked him, He was like, yeah, like you need to count your syllables. You need to work on making your verses parallel. You need to work on making your choruses, your lines and your choruses parallel. As far as syllable counts, you don't want to use words that are hard to sing or harsh on the ear. You don't want, and it was just all of these little things that helped me to see, see the whole writing process a little bit differently. It was more like, more clinical and a little more precise. Like, okay, I have this line that I like. 
but I don't know if I can use it because it uses nine syllables instead of eight. And this line should be eight, you know, so I should probably rework this. And obviously, like the beauty of music and art is a lot of it's just interpretation and you don't have to like follow the strict rules, but the rules are there to guide you. That's been the case for me. I haven't always followed the the strict rules, but learning them is has been very important for my writing process. That's so good. Uh, you know, I've talked to professors before, specifically one who, who would say, you know, uh, a good poet is in charge of the rhythm and meter in that you don't want it to be so much in adherence to the rules that you're getting kind of like cramped into it. And that was a big part of, of kind of my uh, growth as a creative writer too, of like, okay, you, you, you finally figure out, and I love how you said, Will, you know, I didn't know how to make this better. And then you finally figure out, oh, like, okay, I can count syllables and I can start rhyming. And then you try to like follow it to a T or is it at least what I did. And then, then you kind of figure out, okay, maybe that's not in charge, but I can kind of break it in interesting ways. And it's cool. I don't know. That was just one of the connections I feel like, especially across disciplines is there's like a prerequisite of knowing the rules, but then there's the next kind of plateau to get out of is knowing when to break them. Yeah, exactly. One more practical thing that I had to learn kind of the hard way about my writing is naturally in my writing, I want to say a lot of things. I want to fill a measure of music completely with words. And the best writers of music know how to use space. Like there are moments where the lyrics can just breathe. Those are the moments that are just magic. And that separates, I feel like, in my mind, the, the boys from the men. Boys to men, shout out. But there's something about the learning how to incorporate space in your writing and simplicity even in your writing, learning how to use that space. Just say something and let it hang. That speaks volumes in a song. That's so good. Learned the hard way. Does that mean feedback from like listeners, feedback from your worship pastor? Like what was that? Totally. Yeah. I would bring in a song that I just thought was really good. Like I, I felt really good about it. I think there was one song in particular. He was like, I feel stressed, like listening to you sing that because I'm like, when is he going to breathe? You know, there was just so much, there's so much going on, you know, as an early writer, it's like, well, how can I say important things without saying a lot of words? Like, how do I, how do I do that? The best writers can say something really important in two sentences and give you something that's really published and something that's really concise. And that applies to writing songs. And even a song that I, I wrote recently that will be on the EP, I tried really hard to use a handful of words. It's life with you, the chorus. I wanted it to just be so simple and communicate an idea with tons of room. And I think when you do that, you can communicate nonverbal messages. I wrote a song that I haven't released yet, but it's called Rest. And in that song, I try to create a lot of space within the song. So it feels like the song itself is relaxed. So that message wouldn't be communicated if my song Rest was like an Eminem song, you know? 
where I'm just spitting lyrics at you at rapid speeds. It just wouldn't communicate the same as a song that elongates its notes, that holds out a phrase for a full measure. In itself, the song is like breathing. It's relaxing. So space is a very powerful tool, I think, in in songwriting. And finding that balance is important. The, the last thing I'll say is just so good that it reminds me of, of Hemingway. They often talk about his writing strategies, the iceberg strategy, and that you have a little bit shown and then the rest of the iceberg is all implied. And I totally kind of resonate with this in my own life of like, yeah, when you're a young artist, like, you know what you want to say. So you just kind of say it explicitly and it's just really obvious. Yeah, very true. Oscar Wilde has this quote where he says, all bad poetry is very genuine. And when you're very genuine, you're obvious. And when you're obvious, you're inartistic. And it was like, when I read that, I was, my mind was blown because I think, I mean, you're totally right. It, it takes a while to start seeing, I want to say this, but I cannot say it this way because it's way too obvious. Yep. Yep. And that's, that's another like, practical tip that I had learned over the years and and more recently I've been learning is sometimes a rhyme will come to you really fast and that could be a good thing or it could be a sign that maybe that's too easy like maybe the way you're saying this maybe the way you're phrasing this is too is is lazy almost you know or it could communicate laziness I don't know I feel like there's just Pop pop music is the worst at this. Like they will all use the same phrases, the same words to communicate something. It's like there are like a billion songs that have said the same exact thing that you have said. Like just think of a different way. Think of a different rhyme. You know, like if you if you sat with this for maybe another day, you know, slept on it, maybe you would have been like, I don't think this is... You know, maybe I could have done something a little more artistic. So on that note for you, because this is a part of the process that's invisible to me, how many times do you write a verse or write a chorus? Like whether that's the lyrics or the melody or whatever. Oh man, I feel like each section has got at least 10 plus revisions on it. Just like after sitting on it being like, okay, I don't, I actually don't like this or I don't like this melody and because I don't like this melody, I need to rewrite this. So yeah, it's just revision after revision after revision. But those moments really reveal to you your strengths and your weaknesses as a writer. And knowing those things are so important. And leaning into those things are super important in your process of growth as a writer. It's almost discouraging that the consistent message across disciplines is like, it's like, dang, this this song was really good or this movie was really good. It's like, how, well, how long did it take you to write that or make it? It's like, it took a long time. I did it 10 times. And you're like, dang, there's not a secret. Like, it's literally, yeah. don't accept your first ideas like most of the time. Or at least sit on yeah. them and wait and make sure that they stand a couple days. It's discouraging but helpful. Yeah, I mean, my my song Take My Hand was one of the first, believe it or not, one of the first songs that I had ever written. I wrote the first version of Take My Hand in like 2015. Wow. And that song just changed so much from 
2015. I mean, it was just a really bad song, a really bad song, and became a song that, you know, really started my career in music. And it was the one that I chose purposefully to start my career in music. So, yeah, I, I totally resonate with that. It's like a lot of times a good song will take take a, a while to cook. And it was just an idea that like I kind of like, uh, eh, like I, I kind of threw away, but came back and revisited and rewrote. And I'm glad I did. So let's dive into the Freedom EP. It's coming out August 18th, 2023. And you can pre-save it now, the link below this episode. This is a four-song EP that we worked on together for the last six months. So I'd love to dive into Dragonflies, the second track on the EP. Dragonflies will be the first track. Oh, <laughs> there we go. The revision process. Or Colby forgetting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, let's dive into Dragonflies. Could you share what the story is behind this song? How long did it take you to write? Yeah. Yeah, the first version of this song I wrote my junior year of high school somewhere in there yeah about four or five years since when I I first wrote it and it was one of my first takes at just trying to write a song that had a lot of narrative that supported a primary idea that was in the chorus you know there were a lot of songs that I love that each verse of the song will try to tell a quick story and use a lot of imagery to turn your ear into an eye. And I wanted to try to capture that. And a lot of those songs will tell a quick story in a verse. And each verse kind of has a, a different aspect, but will tell a quick story to highlight the primary message of the chorus. And took a couple revisions for me to get there, but I finally felt like I captured some nostalgia that I wanted to promote the idea of like of childhood, how a lot of us lose that feeling of wonder about the world and general interest in our own dreams when we grow older. There's something about growing older that it feels like there's a social pressure to disregard the things that are wonderful or disregard the things that are that are beyond this beyond this world or dreams that seem impractical and i wanted to capture a song that's kind of like like why can't we still pursue those things that's kind of the general message of the song that's really interesting okay so but let's talk through kind of the progression of working through this song a little bit i have kind of a folder here of different tidbits that I pulled out. Wow. So the first thing I want to pull up is kind of like our original demo. We That was our first demo. Wow. I mean, we there were wow. so many things up in the air there, but I want to hear your side of the story here. So stoked to hear you guys talk about this. Gosh, there was just a lot of just throwing things against the wall, see what would stick. I mean, I think there was literally just like clap tracks that we had just clapped. Just the two of us yeah. by ourselves clapping. But there's yeah, it's just a lot of a lot of tiny experiments. The first demos is just trying to find the the groove you want, the mood you want, the sound that you want. And so there's just listening to that. There's just so much, so many different 
ideas that are trying to be thrown around and I mean, like none of them are good. <laughs> so I'd, I'd love to hear your your side of the story too, Colby. It's always intimidating at the start of a project because you have to just like have a, a trust with whoever you're working with as an artist to say, okay, they they understand that this is the pencil sketch and not the like fully animated movie. You know what I mean? We're both <laughs> going to struggle. You know, this is going to be a struggle, but we're in it together. You know, exactly. Lining up on where you're at in the process is really helpful to then be like, this is the brainstorm phase. And then later we can be critical about like the timing of something or the pitch or the clipping or whatever. So I feel like trust is really big. Yeah. It's always been uh, something for me whenever we, or you'll be like, just, just do like a quick, like demo vocal. I'm like cringing every time I listen, just like, oh, wow. Like this sounds like I just learned how to sing. Definitely that like trust is we're in this together and we're going to figure this out, but we need to have something to build off of. The other thing that I think is really interesting about this track I'd love to talk about, this is version three. So we're kind of skipping ahead a little bit in the process here to the next version. And let's just play through the chorus. There's another intro. This this sounds like um, there's an episode of SpongeBob where they like think Mr. Krabs is a robot because he's like playing this thing on a radio and it's like <laughs> techno music and it's like real. Oh my that's, gosh. That's, that's kind of where that intro like yeah, yeah. takes me. That's a, <laughs> but that's anyway. Mean. Yeah, so... That right there is one of the fastest pivots. Probably a lot of our demos haven't seen a, a, a pivot that's that kind of, I mean, so much just changed. The halftime feel in the chorus, gone. The like finger picking um, that I was doing on acoustic, gone. Like it's driving, strumming, more of a like four on the floor feel. And that was, that was kind of the feel of of some of the reference songs that we used to kind of capture or just get some creative ideas from uh, those songs were just super drivey. And we were like, maybe we should just scrap the halftime feel and do something more drivey and see if it sticks. Yeah. And at this point, from my perspective, what was driving me crazy was the guitar part. I hit this wall where the guitars just didn't sound good to me. Like, because I had recorded some of these layers, just that really fat, like, just those big power chords. Basically just one of those feelings of like, it just doesn't feel good yet. So we kept going. Up until that point, the almost all of the textures that we had added to the chorus they didn't communicate what I wanted them to. I felt like, I feel like I kept saying, it just feels like something is missing. Like something is right in front of me that is missing that's going to just color this chorus. Because right now it just feels super bland. Like we have the feel that we want, but it's not translating well. I think that was definitely a, a lights on moment. Messing with that, that delay and be like, oh, maybe, maybe this would be a cool idea. And I think there's two electrics that are kind of layered, one melody and one doing a, a little harmony. 
it kind of added a cool texture. Very simple, but so beautiful. But the next big part, I think, was landing on the introduction because we went through several different versions. Yeah. And I think even in that, you were you were messing with the uh, the sound of the acoustic a little bit because we, we were like, maybe that could be a texture that, that would be nice. But yeah, we the intro kind of went from, I think I did this, something in between the the chorus and verse two there was just some idea that kind of came to me and i was like maybe i can just put this down and we did and then i think you were just like maybe this is like the intro we can just throw it in the intro and see see how it feels yeah that guitar riff was a big unlock because it just ties the whole song together it's really catchy So actually, we then decided to take that intro, that melody from the middle of the song out of the intro, right? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it's also like uh, you have a have a filter on it, and uh, I think there's some like vinyl sound. So yeah, we were we were just messing with some some textures. Uh, what's an interesting way to kind of hook the listener to be like, well, maybe I should keep listening. Even then, it, it was just a little, a little bland. We knew something was still missing. So then the final version of the introduction sounded like this. Mr. Krabs in his office, all the way to some fun and catchy textures. So I think it was uh, the final product was taking the, um, the two electrics that are layered as like a rhythm and putting that in the intro along with the acoustic guitar and putting kind of an, an automation on that filter to where it kind of opens up and just feels really big, especially when you're wearing headphones. It's cool for me being on the outside of this to see how there were elements that were kind of saved as you guys paired away things. So it's like the filter that you had on the acoustic, right? It doesn't completely get scratched, but it has that kind of modulation where, like you said, it opens up. And so it's kind of neat. I mean, you have an idea. You're like, okay, I want 25% of that, and then let's cut the rest of it. And then this idea, let's take 10% of that. And so it really seemed like a synthesis, you know, for me coming into this kind of cold turkey of it really is a trying things out. I think you said like little mini experiments and you're almost like partitioning them off, like a little bit of this, this works, but there's way too much salt in there, right? You got to cut back the salt. You know, that that was my impression of that. Yeah, our beautiful little Frankenstein. That's kind of just some like, yes, nice. took the best parts of this idea and shoved it with this and ended up being something that we really enjoyed and was fun to listen to. Where did the idea from the bridge come from? I guess you would actually maybe just call it a chorus, the halftime chorus at the end of the song. Yeah. Almost anyone who knows me knows I'm just a sucker for halftime. And I think that's why I wanted this, the song or every chorus in this song to be halftime because I just, I love halftime. I don't know what it is. It's just in my bones. I, if halftime comes on, I'm just like transported into a, another realm. So, and I, I mean, we even did that with Take My Hand, the last kind of outro of that being halftime. But yeah, I, I love how 
a chorus can feel one way and then you throw a different groove over it and it just feels completely different. And so that's that's always been something that I've enjoyed as a listener is when people take a 4-4 driving chorus. Band Camino does this in a, in a lot of their songs and does this really well. Like they can take a groove and change it. And then it's just like, oh, the song is like, I haven't seen it like from this perspective before. And it's just, it feels really good. So yeah, that was something from the from the beginning kind of that I wanted to incorporate in this song. But it ended up being a, um, not an every chorus thing, but a last chorus thing. When we were kids. Yeah. don't like a halftime breakdown you don't have a soul (laughs) i yeah i totally agree could not agree more one thing that i also really love about dragonflies which only the the most keen listener can kind of pick up is in the interlude in between the chorus and verse two we were like i mean we had the like the hook that i came up with and we had that and it was like nice ear candy but we were like what this doesn't really like this by itself doesn't really communicate something that the song the mood of the song or the message of the song and so we we pulled a um a sample from i, I think colby just some like sample of a party or like a pool party or something and to communicate like summer like nostalgia, like that feeling of just being a kid and just like hanging out with your friends by the pool, like that feeling we wanted to capture in the song. So we took a sample and kind of laid it in the background of the riff and it kind of added a nice special little thing to the song. When we were kids Nice. Yeah. So it just it just feels it just adds a another element that that isn't even like musical, but it's just it's art. It takes you somewhere, and that was the goal of the song: is to take you to your childhood, make you feel these things. So yeah, I thought it was a nice touch. That was fun to make. And and one more thing, just quickly about dragonflies was I just want to mention how there was just so much creative block that me and Colby experienced when trying to create this song. Like it, I feel like there was, it felt like years between volume two and volume seven, you know, like there was just so, there was so much. And it was almost at the point where I, a couple times thought about, I, I don't even know if I want to, keep pursuing this song like I don't know if 
I can come up with something right now. I might just need to sit on it longer. I can't, I don't know what I want this to sound like. But through a lot of trial and error and experiments, we were able to to create something that I think is really fun and captures the message of the song. So, you know, to any any artists who are young and trying to, you know, do things, don't shoot down an idea until you've tried everything, you know. Keep keep trying things because, you know, it might be that very last idea that, that you have that's the one that's the keeper. That's so true. I think that's why it's my favorite pro- song on the project is because for me, for a, a new listener, it's like, okay, cool, this is what the song sounds like. But for me, it's like we did the work of like, you know, brick by brick by brick trying to figure out, oh, no, nope, this one doesn't fit here. Yep. Let's try to move this one over here. And you can hear that in the different iterations that it just was like hitting our head against the wall sometimes. Just like, what? And that's a really uncomfortable place to be even whenever on my side just because it's like what does the artist want and what do I even want out of this song and and basically just being like I it's not like you can just fix it or that you just have to do xyz you don't know what you need to do which is almost worse than knowing I have to do this hard thing it's just like yep yep getting stuck it feels so impossible but Mm -hmm. you know you you can you can push through it with enough creativity you can you can make it happen and I think it's also just a good good note on collaboration too, because totally, I would say there was a moment where you were you said something like, "I'm just not inspired by this song," or like, "I don't really want to work on this one. I want to do the other one." And I was like, "Oh, I'm kind of excited about it." But yeah. then later, maybe you were getting excited yep. about it, and I'm like, oh, "Gosh, we got to keep doing this song." And so I think there's a way that collaboration can help you pull the other person out of a creative block sort of like two people hitting against a brick wall instead of one. You're just going to break through it quicker or help each other climb over it or something. Totally. Yeah, yeah. I think you, you really, it was a lot of your, your just ideas and creativity that brought it to life. I mean, I, for me, it was just, I, those moments were like, I was at the brink of like, I don't know if this song is, worth continuing to work on it because we we only have so much time together we were both especially during the semester so busy so it's like should i keep trying to chase this rabbit hole with colby and just hope that something sticks or should i just go to something that's easier but glad we stuck with it so let's move on to freedom the last track of the ep and a different vibe than dragonflies a lot slower and really deep lyrically so i'd love to hear what's the story behind this song yeah um the structure of the the writing in this song is a lot more it's narrative there's almost a conversation between two people that's happening in the courses it was a a song that i wrote two years ago it's been so interesting in my my career as a writer or my experience as a writer is a better word. A lot of times I've written songs that I will need a couple months later. And it's so interesting to me. Worship songs I've written or even reflections, the songs that are in that EP, a lot of them I wrote in a season where I was doing well. And then right after I entered a season where I needed the message of those songs. I needed those songs. 
And this song is basically conversation between me and a mentor in my life, um, specifically an older mentor. And it was just the way that everything happened. I wrote this song and really loved it. And then about a, a year later, my grandfather passed away. And it was just like, wow, I, I really needed this song. Um, and it felt so much more personal to me because it's, it's really a conversation from a deathbed. Uh, and it allowed me to see my own work through the eyes of someone who had experienced the loss of someone who was, who had spoken a lot into my life and was a, um, an example in our family. So definitely, uh, was really interesting and it's cool how writing can, and your own art can, can help you kind of cope with hard things. Well, thank you for opening up about that. That's a pretty incredible story. So what was the process like of writing the song at that time? Yeah, um, at the time, I there's a there's a writer, his name is Andy Gullihorn. I don't know if you guys are familiar, but he, he does a lot of music with Andrew Peterson. He's one of the best writers that I listen to. He's so good with telling stories and using narrative in his writing and twisting or using a, a phrase and turning it in multiple ways where that phrase can mean different things within the context of a different verse or a different chorus. And so this song was really me trying to stretch myself in my writing and pull the, the word freedom and try to use, use it in as many different ways as I possibly could and point different lights on it within the context of the verse. And then when you drop it into the chorus, freedom means different things. I mean, freedom in the last chorus refers to heaven. I'll be in freedom. Or freedom could be breakthrough in your spiritual walk or in your mental health. It could mean freedom from a sin. It could mean, you know, so there's just different ways that I, I try to pull that word freedom and I try to pull it in as many different directions as I can to, to highlight the message. That's so interesting. It makes a lot of sense of the lyrics for sure. So by the time we started working on this, I heard an original, I heard, I think I may have heard a guitar, kind of guitar and vocals voice memo version, but really early on you worked with another artist or producer and musician on a couple of different pieces. I know one of the first things that I heard was this really interesting introduction. Maybe you could share that story of where we got, where you got that original sample that plays at the beginning of the song. Yeah, that was a moment earlier this year. I think it was in January. I was leading a worship for a winter retreat uh, at the church that I'm I'm going to to work at in the fall. But I was leading worship there, and there was a moment in between rehearsal and the worship set where we were all just kind of hanging out in the worship room in the sanctuary. Our piano player was just messing around on the piano with sounds. He was just kind of dialing things. He was messing with pads and also just different filters. In that moment, I was just kind of inspired. And I just like pulled out my phone and started recording it because I just, I loved what was going on. And there was like a conversation in the background and it was a cool moment and it inspired me. 
And obviously I had plans to work on an EP with Colby in the spring. So I was like, maybe this is something that would fit nicely in Freedom as an intro because I didn't know what I wanted Freedom to to sound like. But I wanted there to be a moment where there's just a lot of space and some chords that you can define, but a lot of it's just up for interpretation. It feels like silence almost, musical silence. Whenever I came in to work on this song with you, there was already kind of a demo in place with some synths and a basic kind of kick in the snap, which became the backbone of the whole song, really. How did that come to be? My roommate at the time, Jordan Farmer, shout out Jordan, was, uh, it was after I got back from that trip and I I just wanted to put that in, um, and I started, I wanted to start working on the songs because I knew I wanted to try to get an EP done or at least most of an EP done before I graduated. I wanted it to be almost like a graduation gift to myself to be like, I finished a, an EP, one more EP before I graduated. So we wanted to start, I wanted to start like pretty immediately, but Colby was busy. So I knew he had some background in, in working in Dawes and he had, He's a piano player and has a lot of experience with piano and also synth. And so I was like, I think this song has a pretty big synth bent. Do you think you could carry this melodic idea out? And I kind of hummed it to him and he played it out. And yeah, we had that added some snaps and some other atmospheric textures. And those were the foundation of the song was kind of already there when, when Colby came into the picture. So shout out Jordan for that. Huge shout out. He crushed it on this one. Yeah, he did. As far as like layering goes, whenever we started adding EGs to it, there's there's another like lucky electric guitar thing in the chorus that we, you know, similar to Dragonflies. Um, I don't I don't think it's it's not dotted eighth, but I think I was just messing with some palm muted stuff. I think we added a, did we add a harmony? Yeah. I didn't want there to be a ton of rhythmic textures that like added a, a ton of energy um, because I didn't, I didn't feel like at least early on in the song that that fit the song because we had snaps and we had kick but I wanted something that would um, sustain some energy and add some rhythmic energy but something that wasn't that wasn't too much so some light palm muted electric guitar felt like the right way to go picking up some uh, maybe some sob rock influence on those synths definitely Definitely sob rock influences. Yeah, here's another song that has, and this song also has a lot of 1975 nice. influences, especially in the intro, because that that being like the taking a voice memo and just like letting it play for a minute and a half, that is so 1975. They do that stuff all the time. And I, as a listener, I'm a sucker for it. I feel like some people are like, ah, I'm just going to like skip it. I kind of like it as a, I think it just adds another artistic side to the song um but yeah definitely some sob rock 
1975 influences in the song. And uh, Laney, they'll do like a, a version and then do a stripped version, you know, of their song. And it'll just be snaps and kick. And I love that feel. So, yeah, there are influences in there too. Mm. This one was, you know, it's interesting going back to Dragonflies because this one was very straightforward, I think, in the way that we kind of just went through the steps almost. Like you tracked the demo, we tracked the instruments, we added layers, we recorded the vocals, and then we kind of kept mixing and refining along the way. But it wasn't like there was a big roadblock or like this empty section of the song like what do we do here it was more like just okay we know we're building this house you got to put up the walls and then you put up the roof and then you're done you know like is that your experience of it from your perspective yeah yeah it felt a lot easier to create i mean once we had synth and snaps i mean that almost carried us through the entire song so we wanted it to be something that just kind of built slowly but steadily through the whole thing um, with some different dynamic change throughout, but we wanted that energy growth to be the general thing that just kind of, it would stack on itself. So whenever you're building a song like that, it's it's a little bit easier. And you mentioned to me, or this song is interesting because it's so juxtaposed to some of the other songs on the project, like Life With You. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think even within the title Freedom, I wanted to communicate that with the music and with the verses in a way that was nonverbal, like we talked about earlier. And so a lot of that was just like, I mean, I'm going to let my mind kind of wander. And if something comes to mind or something kind of tugs at my ear that I sounds natural to this song, I'm going to just add it. And it might just happen once. It might come back later, but even just having the, the song itself being having a lot of artistic freedom, I think, also contributed to the to the message of the content. That's so interesting. I really liked using uh, this was my first song ever using vocoder, and really liked that texture. Anytime I'd heard it, you know, it's it's always been something that's inspired me because I love really tight harmonies. And obviously vocoder is just tight harmonies on steroids. I mean, it's just, you can control everything. And it adds that like synth grit to it. That's, that's really nice. This isn't the last time. Death is just the beginning. And that's another area to shout out to Jordan for, for working on that part. Yep. He, he really worked on that. the vocoder and kind of crafted the sound um, and played the chords or under the vocals. So he did great. Well, it's so exciting. And then there's two songs we didn't get a chance to cover that people just have to wait and hear whenever the EP drops a week from this episode. One thing I'll say as a privileged insider here uh, is that the, the EP really holds together as a unified whole. That was something that I was really impressed by when, when Colby played it for me. There's a lot of differences between the songs. I think you guys did a really good job kind of teasing some of those out, both, you know, behind the curtain differences in production, but also just in structure, rhythm, all these different kind of axes. Uh, but it really does, I think, communicate a cohesive sound. And I feel like that's really hard. I mean, especially, you know, taking all the conversations we've had 
today, even about trying to find your voice. It's tough sometimes to have, yeah, you have one song sounds totally different than the other one. And they're good, but they're, they're, they're almost like worlds apart. Uh, and something I really enjoyed about this EP is I felt like it had a coherence to it that wasn't just like the EP is four singles that I couldn't fit anywhere that I, you know, launched as an EP. There's a real cohesion to it, which was fun for me. Yeah, that's, that's cool to hear from the getting that outside perspective. I mean, that's, that's always the goal, you know, to, to try and create something that has, that has cohesion, even if it doesn't have necessarily a, a common sonic cohesion. Sure. It have something that, that feels like it intertwines. You do a lot of these little things that you hope just like connects these songs and you hope that people pick up on that. So it's cool that, that you were able to pick up on it. Yeah, it's just a tough, intangible thing, right? I mean, it's like it's not like they all have to sound the same or have to be have the same narrative, uh, but you can tell when something's out of place. I feel like, or at least as the listener, as the the layman musician here, you can tell when something kind of sticks out. Yep, totally. Do you have any more like big topic areas or things that you want to talk about? No, I mean we we did a lot. I mean, I'm really excited. I'm really excited for freedom to officially drop. I think it's. It's some of my favorite songs that I've been able to work on, and I just really enjoy listening to them. I'm trying to like, I'm trying to stop myself from listening to them until it drops because I don't right. want to get tired of them when it drops, you know. So I'm I'm trying to hold off right now. I'm on like a a month cleanse right now from these songs until tonight. So thanks, Colby. But uh, <laughs> breaking the fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but. I'm super excited about the CP. Can't wait for everyone to hear it. August 18th, pre-save now. Where can people go to learn more about you and how can they support you with what you're doing? Yeah, I mean, definitely just follow me on Spotify. That's, I mean, the best way to do it. Help my Spotify algorithm to be friendly with my songs by following me and pre-saving, pre-saving the track. Go to my Instagram, follow me there and I have a link in my bio to resave the track that's the easiest way to do it awesome well we'll put links to your spotify the pre-save and your instagram account in the show notes of this episode so you can find those below and go do all those things support will and his music and let that spotify algorithm know that you want to hear the song and <laughs> recommend it to more people out there yes yes um, share share final creative process question for behind our non-existence paywall. <laughs> you hit a creative roadblock. What are you doing? Are you running? Are you playing checkers? What's what's your go-to creative roadblock solution? I think go-to is collaborating. I think if I if I hit a roadblock, whether that be in my writing process or that be in the production process of the song, I'm always bouncing ideas off of other musicians that I value i value input i value criticism and that's that's the way you grow is listening to seasoned music musicians and and taking in their input because i mean a lot of times you'll you'll mess with something and you'll think it's good and it's actually not as good as you thought but you've been listening to it for so long that you're convinced that you know it's it's a good idea. And especially when you have writer's block or any form of creative block, 
just reach out to someone that you trust and someone who you you really value their their artistic influence and be like, what am I missing here? And what can really bring this the song to life? And that's that's been where I've gone many times and it's it's paid off really well. That's a great note to end on. Love it. Thanks for sharing that. Well, thanks for listening to The Craft with Carter and Colby and Will today. If you like this episode, there's three things you can do to support our work. First, follow or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Second, you can share this episode with one friend or a person that you think would enjoy it. And third, let us know how we can make it better or submit a question or a complaint at heycraftpodcast.gmail.com. And the last thing I'll say is our cover art was designed by Elizabeth Newell. So you can go learn more about her work at elizabethnewell.work or on Instagram at elizabethisadesigner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in the next episode.